the people experiencing them decide, but they can tell you how they feel. And that's been a learning experience for me is you have to listen to understand how you impact someone. My my number one rule with all of my um, my work that I do is what's the impact, right? You're always impacting someone. So I don't think they are going, and I always tell people when they get feedback, you can't tell them no to their feedback. It's how they feel. If someone felt you attacked them when you asked them those questions. We cannot argue over the word attack. They felt that way. So I think the recipient of how you impact them only is telling you what they feel. And as it relates to you delivering it, this is my books. Don't let your emotions manage you. You should manage your emotions because very sneaky how our emotions can creep up and all of a sudden start making decisions for us. And then we do the blame game because we're like, how did that happen? Well, I have to blame Bob for that because I don't know where that came from. So our emotions have to have some level of um, management or they will take over. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business and grow your life. We're back here with another fascinating guest. We have Tish Squillaro with us coming to us from Philadelphia. And the title of the program today is Leading Past Your Head Trash, Tools to Enhance Your Leadership and People Impact. Tish is an author and her book series is called Head Trash. And we're going to spend quite a bit of time in the interview talking about what she calls the seven emotions that get in our way through our head trash, different ways to understand those emotions and in particular, different ways to navigate them. We're going to talk about the importance of using assessments such as DISC or similar programs with your team to help better understand each other, enhance communication, and certainly improve your team chemistry. Stay tuned to listen to this great metaphor she has about the Tupperware versus the China cabinet when it comes to delegation. It is going to be a deep conversation about everything from leadership to emotional intelligence to team acceleration. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We're excited to be here today, and I know it's going to be a fantastic conversation because our pre-show conversation was, <laughs> we wish he had the recording going. It will all come back, I'm sure. We have with us today Tish Squillero. She's the founder and CEO of Candor, C-A-N-D-O-R. Since 2007, Candor has partnered with organizations around the world, from early stage growth companies to global Fortune 500s, and a wide range of industries from tech to media. Uh, she's got some clients that include some small brands like AT&T, AppNexus, Datarama, Salesforce, Tiva, IBM. What Tish does is she empowers leaders and teams to make the right decisions for the health and success of their business. She is an author. Uh, her book is called her book series is called Head Trash. We're definitely <laughs> going to talk about that. She's a smart CEO, Philadelphia Bravo Award winner. Uh, University of Pennsylvania grad, guest speaker on radio, TV, webinars, and workshops. Bottom line is Tish is dedicated to delivering action-oriented strategies that drive long-term results. So welcome, Tish. 
Thank you. And I, I'm excited to be here and talk about all the stories that I can share with people about how <laughs> I got here and where we're going next. All right. Great to have you, Tish. Thanks. So let's start here, Tish. You talked in your bio, you said something about the health of business. And today, I would say that topic is, is more prevalent than it was a couple of years ago, not just because of the physical health issues, but the emotional health of businesses. So let's start with why is the health of a business even a topic? Because I think it's left out. And many times as a leader, you're so focused on what it is you're selling or the services that you're offering that the people that are managing the day-to-day -day are your last priority. And that's where the healthiness of a business comes, because if you are in a business that's growing, you need your staff and the talent to be able to deliver. If you're starting a business, you need people that have resilience and, and fortitude to be creative. And that's all about the individual. So if you can't focus on someone's well-being, and it's not just about them feeling good, because guess what? In business, you don't always feel good about every decision, but they have to be able to give people balance. And a way you give people balance is to give them tools to manage through the things that most companies go through, growth, change, um, pivoting when you need to make adjustments. And through that, if you don't hand people tools, they're going to panic. And guess what happens when you panic? We don't make good choices. So that's the healthiness I'm talking about, because those are the things that you don't always see happen until it's too late. Why not be proactive with that than reactive? So Tish, give us a little bit of the Tish Grillaro background story. Ah, okay. So grew up in Brooklyn, New York, from parents who thought college was something not for our family. I was supposed to get married, have children right away. So I was the fighting against the odds, as you would. But they were terrific. They were always there for me, but they only able to guide me in those areas. I did that all myself. And so I got myself into college by working first. So I'm a non-traditional. I didn't do what I did with my daughter this weekend, which was move her into college. There was none of that. I actually put myself through college by working for a couple of years to save money. Hmm. So when I went to college and I went to a wonderful college, but I was an older person. And so I didn't also experience college the way most people do. I went as a job. Every book I paid for, I made sure I read. Everything that I did, I made sure it had matter because it was taking from something else. And I think that gave me my resilience hmm. and, and my ability to always fight the odds. And so that's how, when I graduated, I started my first business called Doggy Roll Daycare. It didn't exist. It was a daycare and boarding for dogs back in 1996. Now, today, it's as common as a daycare for children. But in 96, it was like, what? Dogs together? How does this work? <laughs> and I remember going up to the city of Philly to the zoning board and saying, look, dogs will not bite each other just because I think we have a, a process. So for 10 years, I had a dog daycare and boarding called Doggy Roll Daycare with a, wow. with a friend of mine. And that's what led me to people. Now, I'm not quite sure about <laughs> the dogs and the poopy picking up and the people, but I always am that person that if it doesn't exist, I don't like no. I'm going to go figure it out. And from the dog daycare, after we decided to sell it to a conglomerate to actually have it grow, and I knew dogs weren't the end for me. I had two beagles that I love, but they weren't going to be my career. I started to work on that same business of how do you help people achieve more when it's their idea? And so that's how I started Candor, which actually had multiple names. It actually started in 2000 because when I try to get a job, while having doggy roll daycare, even if I had a fabulous college on my on my resume, people went, 
oh, you're not what I expected. So it was very interesting that I figured, okay, if I can't get a job, I'll find my own job. And that's how I started my consulting business. I said, well, if no one knows how to hire me, I'll go figure out how to make this work. So that is the, the Tish Squalero story. I never make anything stop me long enough that I can't figure out a way to go. Awesome. awesome. So Tish, with respect to the health issue, one thing we've talked about on this show a number of times is, you know, this country, most people would acknowledge if they're paying attention at all, that there's a mental health crisis. And there's not only the traditional mental health crisis, but we've got real mental health issues in the workplace. They're saying that due to COVID, a lot of employees have experienced conditions equivalent to PTSD. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of need for health and healthy conversations and health efforts and help people with their mental health. What do you see as the role that companies can play in that or can they not play a role in that? Well, look, there's a fine line between getting too personal with your employees, but I do think you have to look for signs so that you can guide them and make suggestions of how to help them. And I do think emotions, especially through the pandemic, people had to stop, which meant activity didn't keep your mind busy. You had to keep your mind busy, which meant your emotions started to control you. And funny enough, when I wrote the books in 2007, there was never a pandemic in mind that our emotions were going to actually be the things that take over. And so in the last 18 months, a lot of the work I focused on is giving people a healthy mindset and a, a space to actually uncover who are they. Because when you know your demons, you can manage them. The fear is most people don't recognize these demons are taking over. And it's a lot about your emotions, like feeling alone, which is true. You're going to feel alone. But how do you give yourself things to not feel alone? If you're scared, I mean, obviously, it's a, a fear is one of my emotions in the book. It's real. Everybody has fear. But how does the fear cross the line and make you paranoid? So there are things that I see companies now paying attention to, which is bringing people um, an outlet to talk about themselves, which was a no-no back in the day. I mean, no one really dug deep into the person. We knew you showed up, you clocked in, you did your job and you went home. And as long as you put your full day in, no one cared what happened afterwards. Well, now the way we've actually had businesses form their connection is that we gave them better kitchens than I have. I mean, there's snacks and stuff in some of these places that I'm like, where do you buy your groceries? They're fabulous. So <laughs> there are many things that people have built a life into their work, which I think is great for businesses. But when that stopped, people lost not just the business, but they mm -hmm. lost their life routine. So what I've been seeing companies start to do with help by me and other people like me is start to create another lifestyle that's part of helping you be able to manage this new change, which is why resilience is always a very big thing I focus on all the time. I try to measure where someone's resilient. So that's where I'm going to start with them. That's where I'm going to start helping their mind. So what are you, I mean, on the same topic, are we looking then at people who are acting out in certain ways or just not performing in the way that they were, or are you just seeing them walk around head down? I mean, what are the things that you're looking for? It's engagement. So as a manager or as a colleague, you don't even have to be a manager. You kind of know yeah. when someone feels off. Right. Or they're not showing up on things they normally would. So it could be performance. It could even be their interaction in a meeting. They used to be the one talking all the time. Now they're not. Or they disappear too often and you have to go find them. They're not responding to email. They're your text that you're sending. It's looking for behaviors that seem off or different. Yeah. And then do a little probing without being intrusive as to what's happening. 
because eventually I do think people like to talk about themselves. You just have to figure out what it is that they're comfortable talking about first. Right. And not just grilling them. So it sounds and not like make it a grill. Yeah. It sounds like emotional intelligence is, is definitely called for there because otherwise it's going to be difficult to recognize. <clears throat> well, yes and no. I mean, I would say my kids are not emotionally intelligent in the way we describe it, but they can sense when a friend's off. Just the behaviors change. I think it's let's not make things overly complicated. And that's, I always say simple and stupid. That's how I love everything. Because then everybody can actually do it and use it and repeat it, right? So if you just see somebody normally always looks very well dressed in their meetings, and then you start to see them looking disheveled. Okay, that's a sign. What's going on? You don't have to be that keen and being intuitive yet, or even know what you're looking for. But you know when something's off. Because one thing everybody does is observe each other. We can't help ourselves. That's why we love social media and posting is because we constantly want to see each other and ourselves. So I know we all have the trait and the technique. Gotcha. So let me ask you this question, Tish. That, that whole conversation about looking for things that are off, my experience has been that the emotional challenges people have, a lot of times it's not visible because the resilience they've learned is to cover it up really well. And my question is, is there a place to just create those conversations? Because I don't know where people are. Yeah, if someone's off, I mean, it's kind of, I guess what I heard in that is if someone's off, I'm going to give them their attention. But if they're okay, I'm going to not really give them that kind of support, which is kind of like our performance with other performance issues. You know, you get a performance improvement plan if you're failing, but if you're okay, you don't get any attention. (laughs) It's crazy. Mm. Well, um, no, it's not how I meant it, but certainly understood. I do think you have to constantly be involved with people and not be a recluse of not being involved. So I have always helped managers to figure out ways to find the time to spend time with their employee. And that's not just the ones that are hurting or the ones that are low performing, but everyone. And that's the observations that you'll have to be able to make because everybody's got something. Through this pandemic, everybody went through something. If it was a childcare issue, if it was just being alone, it was having too many people in the small apartment in New York that no one counted on being there more than an hour a day, right? So there's, but you won't know that if you're not spending time. So no, it's not segregated to those that need my time because I don't even know how you'd know that unless you're spending time with everyone. So build into your day. And I have a program called Modern Time Management because what it means is that the way we use our time is very different. We used to have a very set of rules of how you maximize and be efficient with your time. But I think what's been very relevant in the last 18 to 24 months, more time spent with your employees and knowing where they are and knowing what's going on with them is going to be a lot more beneficial than having your checklist of deliverables. And so this is how you manage what I call modern time management and The other thing that I help companies with, which is nothing you mentioned, but there are behavioral tendencies that align with people because it's their DNA. And I use a vehicle called DISC, but there are so many out there. There's the caliber, there's the predictive index. And I do a lot of speaking on this because behaviors, same thing with my books, behaviors tie into whether it's going to be successful or not, not your skill. You can teach skill, but behaviors are whether or not you're going to do it, how you're going to do it, when you're going to do it. So when you start to actually get comfortable with who you're connected to, you've got to look at their tendencies to see what makes them tick, how they think, how they respond. And an example is 
DISC is an acronym for very D, dominant people, I, very engaging people, S, very steady, scalable people, or C, very conscientious and fact-finding people. Well, someone that's a high I that constantly engages, I don't have to tell those managers, spend time with your employees because that's all they do. But someone who's a C, who's very rigid in how their, their, their agenda is just so and very calculated and everything has a positioning, I have to say, add into your natural interactions a smile, talk a little bit about something funny. You know, I have to actually say stuff that comes very naturally to behaviors of an I right. that a C wouldn't have. So it is a combination of when you're saying be engaged with people, it's not just to actually have the video or the phone call. Because that's never good enough. It's to know how to unpack who are they. That's what your job is. Who are they and how do I help them? That's always how I envision every client I have with. The first time I meet them, who are they? I spend my discovery. And how exactly can I help them? That's how everybody should be working as a manager and a leader. And a leader doesn't have to be someone who's managing. A leader could be a friend. Yes. I mean, leadership is how you act. It shouldn't be a title. So I think how good. How are you addressing that topic of time with your people in the new reality of the workplace with either hybrid models or a lot of remote workers where, I mean, I think people struggled making time for their people when they were in the office. Now for the, they're not in the office. Actually, it's gotten easier. You know what? Funny enough, um, having time with your people is easier remote. Not that I want us to stay remote. I miss people terribly. And I do still try to have in-person meetings where people are comfortable. But because you can congregate lots of people, and I have a very big global network. So a lot of my clients aren't even in the US. I bring them all together in a virtual setting and I can impact them all together the same way, which is a lot harder because my business didn't run that way two years ago. <laughs> I felt people had to be together in a room for there to be rapport. Now, do I miss those days? And there are certain times that that works better than the remote, but the remote has actually made it easier to actually get people all together. So it's an excuse if they're saying they can't. What's harder is engaging as, as much. Yeah. So I used to do lots of role plays and interaction and off the cuff things and joke. It's very hard to joke on video and get everybody laughing at the same time. So I've had to rework how to build engagement. And so it's important to know who your audience is because you try to have something for everybody once you know who they are. But I don't think it's harder. I think what's harder is actually to build the engagement factor, but not getting everyone together. I think there are a couple of things in there. One, I, I really appreciate that you say that there is a different kind of time management and especially that we need to take the time for people. I think so many leaders miss that and they don't realize that that's their primary job. You know, and so uh, applaud. That you was for the hardest. Time. That was the hardest transition, Craig. When I spoke to my CEOs, is that if you took care of your employees casually, like you walked to the kitchen, you were making a coffee, you saw them. That was a touch point. Now you had to actually physically build in your day all those other meetings a CEO may have, like your investors and and specific clients, and now you had to build in see Bob or Mary because I haven't seen them. So it really did change yeah. the way you manage your time. Yeah. And, and it doesn't necessarily require that face-to-face -face interaction. I mean, sometimes it's just sending an email saying, wow, thank you for doing that thing or whatever it is, just so that they feel like, okay, somebody's thought about me. Right. Well, it is important, Greg, because I think you won't manage each style the same way. Yeah. You won't have to unpack what's wrong with people the same way. For example, <laughs> just to stick with my DISC, eyes will tell you everything, even almost TMI, too much stuff. 
But a C would tell you just what they think you need to know because trust for them is different. So as you figure that out, that's how, Jeff, when you mentioned, how do you get people to tell you, you have to know who they are and what their comforts are so that you can start to unpack it with them. And guess what? All four styles, very different. So the first thing I train all my leaders on or anybody I'm working with is figure out who you are because what's natural to you is certainly not going to be exactly the same way for someone else. And then figure out their comfort zone so that as you build that relationship with them, it's on their terms. Because if it's on your terms, you're right. You may not find out until something bad has happened or it's too late. So you want it on their terms. So how are you helping people? Because one thing I've heard from a lot of team members is this. Yep, there's more focus on the calls. But they're saying what you said, it's too much focus. So that leader who said, or manager who said, I can turn an hour meeting into a half hour. Part of that is it's all business. There's no conversation. It's let's get after it. So I think that, I mean, I think there's a fundamental rethink that has to happen because in the office, you had those impromptu times and that's what everybody's complaining about. Oh my God, I don't have that. Well, you gotta be more intentional, but you've gotta bring that humanness to that electronic interaction too. And so where, how are you helping people get more focused, but at the same time, not get so focused, they lose sight of their people in the focus. It is still evolving. I don't think any of us have a real playbook yet. Uh, What I've been doing is because people start to know people better through understanding their styles, you have to build it in for a certain group. For example, if you're working with a bunch of finance folks, let's just say a financial meeting, And I'm not going to label, but most people who love numbers and data are going to have a very high C mentality, which is that DISC. They don't want to actually have icebreaker time. They actually don't. You have to do that separately. You have to build like they would probably prefer a separate meeting that's just all social engagement than to mix it with the two. But if you're working with a high I, that half hour meeting is really 45 minutes because 15 of it is BS, joking and laugh. So again, when you know your audience, you need to have to plan your meetings, which I think is a great skill that no one has. How to plan an effective meeting. We never taught that. College, high school, no one has ever really given anyone a playbook on how to plan an effective meeting. Because I've met people who have meetings about a meeting and then they have a meeting after that meeting to realize, oh, we didn't get any of those things done. So Planning effective meeting is, okay, who am I meeting with? And what is the topics I want to walk out of this meeting with done? And then what is it that I know the rest of the group probably needs from me? If you can start to answer some of those questions before you plan your meeting, well, a lot of things are going to happen. One, you don't have excessive people in meetings that don't belong there. The ones that have nothing to say and no input. So they're the ones that are multitasking and off video and making everyone else feel uncomfortable. Let's figure out who should be in that meeting. And if the people who are not in that meeting also need time with you, then you come up with something that's right for them or give everybody a role play in that meeting. Have everybody come prepared to say five minutes of something. So it's really taught us to think before we act. And I don't know about you two, but I have been always on the mode of you do, and then you start thinking as you're doing. This whole pandemic, this whole time about figuring out who are we when we had to live through this has given us preparation time to think before we act, which some people are catching on faster than others. So you raise a great issue. You talk, you're talking, let's go back to the disc. Everybody in those groups are different. Mm-hmm. Um, and as, as the way I heard it, the eyes are probably more likely to engage with people 
at a not and beyond the business conversation and maybe to access. Easier, easier, easier. Not that the others won't much right, easier. But as you, you're talking about, for example, the C's, perhaps the finance world, a lot of those are actually managers though. So you can say, Oh, every one of these right, people, managers. I may not engage with them to bring out the conversation because they're not comfortable, but they're a manager of someone who needs that. So where do you, yeah. you know, sort of allow them their way, but then teach them or coach them. They've got to deliver that to other people or they're failing in their management and leadership. By allowing um, a group to, so for example, I have a team chemistry belief that the chemistry of a team is what makes them effective, not the group of talent around the table. Obviously, I'm assuming everyone's got the talent because if we don't, that's a different topic. <laughs> it's, it's the chemistry. And when I work with a group, let's take a group that has a manager. Everybody takes the profile. And then I plot for everybody where this whole team chemistry is based on their style. I give them the highlights of things that come easy to this group. And I give them the highlights of things that could be potential challenges. Never assume I'm a, I'm a you know, a, a mind reader. These could be potential challenges. They always are. And from that, the manager gets to understand what they need to work on. And the employees among this team get to rationalize about each other. I just <clears throat> open up the information about each other. Most times, people don't know enough about each other. We make assumptions. Oh, Bob's always late on stuff. That's because he doesn't care. Mary, she never shows wow. up. She's always got other stuff. So when I now take all that personal assumptions out and I actually put the group together, it all of a sudden goes, oh, now I know why Bob's late. <laughs> He's always looking for more information to make sure it's right. So it yeah. allows people to not make it so personal. And it also opens up the the uh, the arena for us realizing that we're not a perfect team yet. There are things we don't all have. Matter of fact, I just did one yesterday where the entire team were D's and C's. So D's and C's are direct and factual, not exactly the jokey, warm and fuzzy group. There were six of them. They had no I's or S's. So when you think of disc, it's a wheel. There's the D on the top, the C opposite, the I on the bottom, the S opposite. And when you look at it that way, all the DCs are efficient, they're effective, they're so results driven, nothing gets in their way. But the I's and S's are looking for experiences, engagement. So I said to the group, listen, are you guys easy to work with, with other teams? Or even among yourselves, do you ever have like a meeting where you just don't have an agenda or a topic <laughs> you got to get to? Do you have any banter at all? And they laugh because they don't. I said, well, here's why your bottom half of this wheel is missing from your team chemistry. It's not that you actually are purposefully not allowing it, but it's not natural. And what's not natural to somebody is hard to make up. So when you make it obvious, though, they go, you know what? We should plan something together. Maybe we'll do a pick. So it forced them to think about what we don't do naturally. And that's how you start to build team chemistry. And that's the awareness. Yeah, I, I think it makes so much sense to go through some sort of a, a type assessment so that you can understand the people around you. It really, really helps. It's We had somebody at one of the companies I was working with really made a difference in our team. <laughs> one of the guys that was working for me was like, oh, that's why you're that way, Craig. Like, yep. Yeah. Uh -huh. and, and that's those tools I mentioned early on. If you, The best gift you can give anyone is tools or knowledge, right? Our kids, best gift I could give them are the right schools, and then it's up to them, right? And then they can make good choices. Well, it's the same thing with businesses. Give the knowledge and the tools to your employees. They'll make better choices, which means your business will do better. 
we start off with my business has to do better. So let me tell them what to do. And then they're not self-sufficient and they're making bad choices when you're not telling them what to do. Wait, we can trust our people to do, to think for themselves. I would hope we start to do that. <laughs> yeah. That's the only way to scale, by the way. And yes, I do have totally. many CEOs that one of the things I work on with them is being not so controlling. Again, one of the head trash things is control. Control is great to have boundaries and protocols and know there's swim lanes. Of course, we want that kind of control. But it crosses the line when you are controlling and you have to be in every meeting and you don't know how to delegate. And so one of the tips I give people about delegating is I said, look at two charts, Tupperware and China. And when you start to delegate, I want you to start to put all the things that fall in the Tupperware box. That's if it falls, it doesn't go perfectly. <laughs> it's not going to shatter. And you know maybe you'll miss yeah. the cover because Tupperware, you always miss the cover, but you can still put foil on it. Guess what? It's still something you can use. And then there's the China column that if this thing fails or breaks, it shatters, you can never repair it. Be honest with yourself. What's Tupperware and what's China? Start to delegate the Tupperware. Keep that China for yourself. But put that list together. That's the first step of having yourself start to delegate, which makes you not controlling, but guiding. There's controlling and guiding. And that's how really I started writing the book because it's everyday emotions that are important to us. Like I want some controls. I want to know there's boundaries, but I also don't want to not be able to let people grow and feel empowered. Well, how do I not do that? Well, the Tupperware China is one of those tips. Well, I'd say relationships are in the China category. If they are relationships that deserve the China category, right? Okay. Some in okay. business, there are relationships that you can give to an employee that they've been with us a while. They understand our value. And maybe yeah. you don't have to be in on every call. Let them run with that. But a brand new big logo that we just got, of course, you're not handing it out to the, to the person without being there. That's what I mean. Manage to honestly say to yourself, is it Tupperware or China? Because how else do people grow other than to live through it? You have to learn from your experiences. Well, do you find with the Tupperware China metaphor you use, do you find that a lot of leaders in the beginning, their China cabinet is full and there's very little in the Tupperware cabinet? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm the same way. And I'll use a funny life story. I love the bed made the minute you get up and your bed has to be made that you can flip a coin on it. Imagine telling my seven, eight-year-old, minute you get up, you got to make your bed well. Now, there were times that it was disheveled. So I'd go in and remake it and show them how to make it. One day, my husband says, so when they're 40, you're going to go to their house and make their bed? <laughs> I said, mm. he says, they have to learn how to make the bed. So put blinders on and run past their room. It'll get better. My teenagers do not leave the house unless that bed is made. Even at college, my daughter has her bed made and tightly done. So it taught me to put zippers on my mouth, stay out of the way. But wow. to me, the bed making was China. I have to make the bed. I mean, who goes into an empty bed, a messy bed at night? But you learn about yourself of what's really that important. And the bed making, like a tight drum, wasn't important when I realized the learning of them making the bed for long term was actually what was important. And yeah, I sit with CEOs and leaders. And the first thing we talk about is what are you delegating so you can scale? And First off, it's I can't delegate anything to these people. They don't know what they're doing always. And I go, okay, let's unpack that a little bit. Let's see who doesn't know what they're doing. Well, whose who's failure is that? <laughs> we're, not, we're not training and growing our people. Hmm. 
Then you got a one man woman show. And that's I don't know right. how big they grow, but I guess you could do a one man woman show. But that's not what we're here for. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. I've been a Beta Gamma Sigma member for the last 20 years. If you're looking to hire, the right candidate is closer than you think. Beta Gamma Sigma is the International Business Honor Society, exclusively for students at the top of their class in the top 5% of business schools in the world. BGS members are academic achievers, skilled leaders, and experienced problem solvers, and their skills and experience extend beyond the classroom. They hold chapter leadership positions, attend global business summits, complete ethics trainings, and engage in world-class internships with top corporations. When you hire a Beta Gamma Sigma member, you are truly hiring the best in business. For more information, email bgshonors at betagammasigma.org to learn more about how to hire BGS members. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs) Welcome back. Tess, let's go back to something you touched on briefly. You talked about emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. You've also been talking in various places about the idea of emotions. For me, they're related, but they're not the same thing. A discussion about emotions is not necessarily the same conversation as emotional intelligence. So what are they for you? Okay. And separate those conversations in the way you work with your clients. So emotional intelligence is being self-aware and recognizing in others where their pain points or their strengths are, right? That's having an IQ of understanding others are not all like you. And so that's more of you appreciating differences and recognizing things. Emotion is what drives all of us. That's what makes us not AI, right? We're not artificially intelligent. We have to have emotions. And I love emotion. I'm a very passionate person. My kids sometimes mistake my passion for anger. They go, mom, you're always so angry. I go, no, I'm passionate. When I say to do something, I'm going to emphasize it. He goes, yeah, but you're never not emphasizing anything. So I'm passionate. (laughs) I love emotion. But emotion is what doesn't make us self-aware. Emotion sometimes will fuel our emotional intelligence not to be accurate or even on as a radar. So I believe emotions are what drive us, but emotional intelligence is a tool. Okay, so let me ask you a question from that interaction with, uh, I think it was your son or daughter, maybe all your kids. 
So who decides what your emotions are? You or the people experiencing them? I don't know if the people experiencing them decide, but they can tell you how they feel. And that's been a learning experience for me is you have to listen to understand how you impact someone. My my number one rule with all of my um, my work that I do is what's the impact, right? You're always okay. impacting someone. So I don't think they are going, and I always tell people when they get feedback, you can't tell them no to their feedback. It's how they feel. It's someone felt you attacked them when you asked them those questions. We cannot argue over the word attack. They felt that way. So I think the recipient of how you impact them only is telling you what they feel. And as it relates to you delivering it, this is my books. Don't let your emotions manage you. You should manage your emotions because very sneaky how our emotions can creep up and all of a sudden start making decisions for us. And then we do the blame game because we're like, how did that happen? Well, I have to blame Bob for that because I don't know where that came from. So our emotions have to have some level of um, management or they will take over. They will take over us. (laughs) So that's interesting you say that, and, and I'm on totally on board. We talk a lot about impact. In fact, I think yep. it's chapter 11 in the book I just finished. Um, it's all about focusing on the impact. And because you're talking about your kids saying you're angry and you're passionate. And I think about how many arguments have been over whether someone's angry. Like, why are you angry? I'm not angry. And now the arguments about that versus me recognizing, well, someone clearly experienced me as angry. And if I can accept that and now communicate with them from that place versus me, in my case, saying, well, I'm, I wasn't angry, so I got to be right here. They experience right. me as angry. That's what they experience. Well, which is where knowing someone's style is going to help you as the recipient. I'm a D on the D-I-S-C wheel. No kidding, right? If you actually <laughs> had an understanding of it, you go, oh, D, are you 100 D? Probably I'm 97. So a D is always talking with high energy a sense of urgency, everything has to be going because they love motion, not emotion, motion. So they're constantly moving and doing, which means they're short patient, which means the passion to move forward is what drives them. That's why everything I say and do, if I'm interested in it, is extremely high level, which is why I love working with people. I think they actually catch my passion and it's for them. I think, you know, one person once said to me, you give me hope. I hang up with you or I, I leave you and I always feel so strong about myself. <laughs> it's because I speak with such conviction and confidence for you about you. And, but that's just how I am, which is why I do think the profession I'm in, you know, which I found in a weird way from a dog business to this is really because I enjoy watching people achieve goals. They never thought they can achieve because that's mm-hmm. how I got to where I am. When I picked my college, it wasn't because I knew it was a great college. I actually was dating someone who says, you can't get in there. I go, what do you mean I can't get in there? He says, well, that's, that's an Ivy. I didn't even know what an Ivy was. I go, all right, what does that mean? He goes, well, it's not for your kind. Ooh, I go, ouch. what kind is that? He goes, well, you know, it's, it's, I don't think you'll like it. I go, okay. Two years later, I was in and he was waitlisted. <laughs> so my drive for passion to be resilient, and I hate the word no, is kind of my energy. Now I can give you stories where it backfired, where I was also sure. very driven and made the wrong choice, but it is what I got to know myself, right? I also know that I have to tone it back. Mm-hmm. So when I'm doing certain things, you know, recently I was on a, a parent committee 
I had to tone me down and I became a mm. listener because if I was going to be a driver, it probably would have not worked out for my child. Yep. So you have to know yourself first before you can manage anything with anyone else. And like my mother used to say to me, it's not what you say, but how you say it. It's what you it's it's really we three can all say the same thing, but how we each say it is how someone's going to feel about it. And it could be the same message. So I quote my mom every time. It's not what you say, but how you say it. I've said it now to my teenagers too, because I do think sometimes I get the attitude and I go, I know what you mean, but I don't like the way you say it. That's what, that's one thing I learned from my wife. She was like, Craig, you know, it's, it's the way you said it. Like, okay. I, I really had to learn. So you know, fortunately my wife was patient with me, but it does make uh, so much sense to be able to understand the situation that you're stepping into and to understand and plan ahead of time, what's my energy going to be? So for example, two weeks ago, I lost my mom. So oh. spent time over at my dad's trying to get things done. I have two sisters. One of my sisters was there with me for a good portion of the time. My other sister stepped in. One of my, the first sister and I were just calm, relaxed, getting through things at a, at a regular pace, you know, not trying to go too fast, but to me, that meant that I was making time for the relational side and making mm -hmm. sure that I was there for my dad, for my sister. The other sister came in, boom, everything had to be done really, really fast. And she was going through everything. I just said, you're in performance mode. Right. I need to step back. <laughs> I said, oh, thank you. I was probably your other sister that walked in. <laughs> and I'm so well, she sorry. She wanted to get things done. And I appreciated oh, that. I... You know, but there are yeah. different priorities at that point. No, I mean, look, I, I'm very sorry to hear about your mom. I have a mother who I was very close with who has dementia for the last four years. Mm. So I feel like I lost her four years ago, yeah. but I have to pretend I see someone who doesn't know me or has any life in her. And I That's don't tough. know what's harder to see it over and over again, but she was always an inspiration. Like I said earlier, she went to college. She had a very harsh upbringing. Her father left. Her mom was not well. So she was in and out of foster homes, only kid. But yet she was a terrific mother who had believed in relationships. And when I went to college, she was like, wow, I guess you could do that stuff. Like there's another world out there than our little circle. She goes, I'm going back to school. And she went and got her associate's degree in our <laughs> local, awesome. in our, in a community college. So it's sad when um, you have a loss, but it does yeah. bring out hopefully the best in us as a family. Mm -hmm. Like my sister and I didn't talk for years for a lot of reasons, but when my mom got sick, we became close again. So, right. you know, there's, there's a God who plans for us. We try to mm -hmm. plan and then we go, wait a second. We just got to, let's see what happens here. Yeah. So, so Tish, you're talking about emotional intelligence and I think, I think there's a lot more to emotional intelligence or other topics, because here's what I hear. Here's a case study for you. Recent <laughs> conversation. I was working with a team and asked all of them because they've done their assessments. They've done this, you know, share, share that piece. That's your biggest challenge. One guy said, well, I'm very aware that I can tend to, he's a D push through and achieve things and leave a wasteland of people mm. behind me. So he said, I'm really aware of that. Well, as I started checking into the group, it turns out that he does that all the time, even though he's aware of it. So he would say, and he does say, he believes he's highly emotionally aware because he knows that, but he has not in <laughs> any way changed his behavior. So do you see the behavior change as part of emotional intelligence or is there another layer here? Hmm. 
Well, I, I do believe the only way someone can improve what they're doing is they have to want to do it. So your friend doesn't want to do it. He probably has conditioned that the way I am works. I get things done. People may not love me, but at the end, they're all happy I did it. So he's convinced himself or any D has convinced themselves that being the person that jumps in the middle, gets everything going in the end, they all love it. They don't love me. me. They love the end. And that means the will to actually be flexible is not something he's ready to do. So I would unpack the will part with him and say, all right, Bob, you've made the awareness. Now you're just living with it as an excuse, I guess, because you're not doing anything with it. Do you want to actually not be the person who steps in, puts the scotch tape on and allows others to move? Because if you don't, then there's nothing you or I can do. And is it emotional intelligence? Well, I guess it's knowing what the right thing to do is and then purposely not doing it. I guess you can call it that they realize what they should be doing and they don't. Yeah. I think it comes back to the difference between intelligence and acting upon that intelligence, you know, to, to actually make the changes necessary. Yeah. Knowing what the right thing to do is and not doing it is very often happening. And I tell, and a lot of styles that are a little passive aggressive tend to do that, which is I know what the right thing to do is, but I'm not going to do it. Right. So you have to have a will to realize that by doing it means that it's not going to feel right to you right away. Are you ready for that? And so what I work with my clients on is getting ready for that change, that adjustment, because it is going to happen to them. It is going to force them to kind of see their everyday life all of a sudden not working the same way. And they may feel differently because as a D, it is going to be hard for him not to talk in a meeting and take over. That, that is like, you, you really have to work at that. Well, and I ask that because I think what I'm seeing is that often organizations are stopping at the first step. Their work oh, is yeah. on the awareness side, but not talking about, as you said, what's the impact? Are we really going to try and change this impact? Or are we all just more aware now? <laughs> well, we're all aware, but we really haven't changed our behavior. Well, that's not really the point. When we talk about that, though, it sounds like if, if we're more aware, if we've made people more aware of the situation of, of what's actually happening and how we're reacting and we're not doing something about it, it really sounds like we don't care. Of course, that's what well, it, it's sending mixed messages, right? I would hope that it's not about caring. They don't realize. So let's take my business, for example. I start off every engagement with only a four month window to kind of date, as I say. Let's see if you like the tools I use. Let's see if the rapport with the business wants this investment. Let's see if the investment includes me. Everybody should have an out. And I start every new client that way. If you don't renew to kind of have us take everything we've learned and put it into action, then I am definitely sure you're only scratching the surface. And I say that because it's not a sales pitch. I go, look, at this point, if you're not going to utilize me, find a way to incorporate what we just scratched the surface with. Having people be self-aware is one thing. Putting it into everyday activities like knowing your style, how do you have modern time management then? How is everyone who's a DISC managing their time with people? It's going to be different. How do you deliver feedback and receive feedback? These are some of the programs I offer. How are they doing that by style? If you're not going to do those things, and why'd you even you know, turn, at, turn on the switch of let's learn about each other and figure it out? Because it's not that easy to adopt and start using. And I'll give you a perfect example. I recently have learned through this whole virtual that people want more interaction in my virtual settings. And it's very hard. They want me to kind of make it feel like we're in a room together, <laughs> which I try to explain to them isn't so easy because 
We're not. And I have to, so they go, can't you do more interactive exercises? But there is a phased in approach. First, you have to take a a team through digesting who that team is and what the chemistry is. But when I recently did it for a group of Ds and I's, they were like, their feedback was, there wasn't enough role play. We didn't put it into use. I said, but no one knew how to use this whole process in the beginning of my one hour meeting. Did you want me to spend 10 minutes on explaining the process and then go right into using it? How would I know if people actually understood what they were doing? I had to say, you're both D's and I's, your whole group. I'm going to painfully put you through this until you actually know what it is. Then I'm going to unleash you to go do it. But this is what happens because I've had a lot of resistance with, oh, we got it. You went over with us. We don't need a session to understand it. I go, yes, you do. (laughs) Well, I think, you know, what you said, Craig, and what you were sharing earlier, Tish, what matters most here is the impact. And like you said, would hopefully you would hope that they actually care, but there's a pretty good chance that if someone says something and doesn't change, they're aware, but don't change. People are going to interpret that as they don't care. Yeah, it's, 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 it's unfortunate that people have this unique way of thinking things happen overnight. So if you make an investment in people in two months, everybody is going to be magically in, in cohesiveness, filled with jolly and glee, and it's perfect. But you know, like a marriage, I'm married 20 years. We're still working through to make sure it's perfect. So what I tell all my clients is I'm the beginning, but this is something that's ongoing, ongoing until you're not leading this company anymore. Do not think it's a check the box, we're done. You have to constantly feed it and water it and do it. And sometimes people change and you got to do it a little bit over again. So it's an ongoing thing. But yet our world is on such instant gratification right away syndrome. I feel like it's everybody that if something doesn't look right right away, we pivot and we move. And then you didn't mm. give it enough time to ferment and grow. So I do think patience is one of those virtues that we should, and I think many of us have actually through this pandemic, learn to make part of our thinking process because being more patient with life, being more patient with the CDC, you know, being more patient had to come part of the territory. Otherwise, you could have drove yourself crazy. <laughs> Some people did. So, yeah. Tish, I want to make sure your your book series is called Head Trash, and you've mm-hmm. referenced a couple of emotions. And I think you, somewhere in there you said there were seven emotions. Yes. That are part of this conversation. We've talked about a couple, but can you share those seven? And let's let's d- dig a little bit into this whole idea of emotions and head trash. Absolutely. So the seven are very common every day. And I'm sure as you're listening, you go, oh my God, I have that. Oh, yeah, I have that. Oh, I did that this morning because I purposefully picked emotions. And when I started out building this book, I had 12. And so I then started to break it down as to what really is the root cause? Because what I found is some of the others that I didn't wind up picking at the very end were a subset of that initial one. Hmm. So the seven are control, one we talked about already, Tupperware China, right? How do you have control go from healthy to unhealthy and then fix that? Because if you're controlling, well, one example is people are not going to work with someone controlling. That's not fun. The other is insecurity. Insecurity is a little bit in all of us. But when does insecurity make you feel so out of it that you leave a job when you get a promotion because you can't do that? Mm. So insecurity makes us make bad decisions because the voice in our head is pretty negative about us. Arrogance. Arrogance is something that when not, when healthy, it's confidence, have a voice, right? 
Uh, Steve Jobs, you say his arrogance is what built his business. His arrogance is what destroyed his family, right? Because when you're now crossing the line from arrogance to all of a sudden, I'm the only voice I hear and no one else should do what I what I say. You're that only voice. Then all of a sudden it's stifling to everyone else. Paranoia. Paranoia is tough because paranoia is when you think you're always the victim. Everyone's out to get you. Mm. Everything someone's thinking and doing is about you and it's not positive. And look, paranoia is great to have because it keeps you on your game. You know that you, you haven't over exceeded that you're the best. So it keeps you always doing better and improving. But when it crosses the line, you think, oh my gosh, I can't trust anybody. Imagine how lonely that is not to trust one person that when they say, hey, that looks nice on you, you go, no, you don't mean that. I actually should change this outfit because you don't believe it looks nice on me. That's what paranoia does. Then there's anger, which was my number one which is the immediate need to respond. And so what I've learned with the invisible zipper is use that thing often. My need for always responding and reacting, I had to learn to breathe a second, zip it up, don't say a word, because anger is allowed. You're allowed to be upset. You're allowed to be angry, disappointed. I'm not saying never feel that emotion, but when you become the beast (laughs) and fearful, that's not how you want to be perceived. Then there's guilt. Right. And there's two types of guilt. There's guilt wielding where you say, hey, Craig, remember that job I got you? Now, can you work the next two weekends for me? Because you owe me. (laughs) That's guilt wielding. And people eventually resent you for that. Or when I say, Jeff, I know we went to college together. So I'm going to make you head of client success because I owe, you know, I feel badly. We've been together since day one when you make decisions out of guilt. Right. That's our guilt. Guilt is important. My mother, Italian Catholic, guilt was a person at the table with us. Everything we did. She brought up, oh my God, you got to send Bob a thank you note. Make sure you go to church. So guilt made us make our decisions. But when it crosses the line and you've got someone in your company who clearly shouldn't be there and they're still there because you live down the street from them, that's guilt. Right. Mm. And then the last is fear, which is probably everybody has a little fear. And sure. I think fear is what I call good when it's caution, right? So think of a stop sign. Fear when it's head trash is a red stop sign. Fear when it's caution is the yellow blinking light that says, okay, proceed with, but don't not move. And so what happens with fear when it crosses the line, they're the folks that go, I should have, I wish I did. Because what they never did is took that little bit of chance. And many times the chance seems so big to them, they don't know how to break it into small components of, Mm -hmm. okay, I don't have to be all of that big change, but If I'm going to move, maybe I'll move to a new city and I'll rent. I don't have to buy. And then when I like that city, I'll buy that house. So it's making decisions that don't seem so overbearing and break them down into little pieces. But every one of them, control, insecurity, arrogance, paranoia, anger, guilt, and fear, they're not something you haven't heard. And which was why it was so exciting to put into words because the books actually talk about stories. Everything I do is about stories. None of it's made up but I share none of the people's names. But through life, I think people learn through others. And so I tell stories throughout the book on each of the seven emotions. And I give you tips and techniques like my Tupperware China to get through them so that you can self-develop, right? I always believe that I never want to be a fixture anywhere with someone. I want to believe I've left you tools to be able to do it on your own. So so Tish, one thing I'm really curious about as I listen to those seven I'd love for you to share a little more about fear, because as I read them, I would, I would argue fear is in every one of those. 
I control because I have a freer. If I don't control, something bad's going to happen. Right. Uh, I'm a, if I'm insecure, I'm afraid they're going to figure out that I don't know everything. Um, I need to use arrogance. Paranoia is a form of fear. Uh, sometimes anger is my fear. But I'm curious. I, I would argue fear is in all of them. The, when, but fear is the standalone. How do you um, speak of fear as really that standalone that's not a part of the others? Well, I do think they are all interchangeable, actually. So, And I don't think it's just fear because I can be controlling and arrogant. I think I know it all. So I'm going to tell you exactly what to do. and has nothing with, to do with me being fearful. So I think the way you look at these, and this is why if you wanted to try to understand what seven mean to you, I have created a, a an index called the Head Trash Index. Very simple. Right? Can't, oh, and my beagles are barking. Sorry about that. Um, you answer these questions about yourself. Sorry about that. Do you want to pause until they stop? Okay. Um, This is real life education. I have beagles. Um, When you have these seven, you're going to find that always two collide. And it's not always going to be fear as one of them. And you can talk yourself into being, yes, fears and all of them, but it's not for everybody. Maybe it's for you, Jeff, but it's not for everybody because I can have control and arrogance, which is why I'm controlling because I think I'm better. And there's no fear in that. So, and when you do the index, which is found at my website for the books, which is headtrash911numbers.com, headtrash911.com, you could go through these questions. And at the end, it gives you a ranking of all seven, but the two that get you the most are that cocktail. And that's probably what you're saying is how some of these interchange. And it doesn't have to be that fears in every one of them. It could be paranoia and insecurity are the combo. I always looked at it the same way you did, is that it's not one usually. It's probably a combination. And that's what the index can actually help you uncover. So you've got this, as we wrap up on time here, Tish, you've got this concept of head trash. I guess give us, give leaders that wrap up thought about how to address their head trash. Sure. I live by the three R's resilience, respect, and reflection. Resilience is you try to plan and guess what? Someone else above us is actually orchestrating everything. You have to have resilience and grit to really kind of put yourself together, get your confidence up and make choices for you. Respect. If you respect yourself, you're going to take care of yourself. If you respect others, you're going to work better with someone else or engage with someone because you respect them. And the last is reflection, which is that humbling. Every leader has to humble to recognize that they are not perfect and they also share human qualities with people. And when you reflect, it gives you a moment to pause and think about yourself. If you can go through those three and you think about where your emotions are having you not be resilient, not respecting yourself and others, and not reflecting honestly in the mirror saying, oh my God, I just did that, then you're going to have a hard time getting to the will of making any adjustments. And so I live by the three R's. Thank you for that, Tish. Thank you for all the wisdom you've brought. Uh, We always want to have our guests have an opportunity to highlight or promote something that's going on for you or your business. Sure. Look, I think at this stage, if you as an individual or a company are recognizing that spending time with my people or spending time with others is just as important as hitting a deliverable, And you want the tools to do that. 
because you're not going to miraculously transform and know how to do that if you've not been doing it, then I'm a terrific person to reach out to and offer you some free guidance. I don't start off with engagements. I always ask people, so what's on your mind? What, what are you having trouble with? If you like my answer, go away, come back and call me in 24 hours. So reach out, candor-consulting.com is my website. You can learn all about all my programs. They're very basic. They're very realistic. And the books, Head Trash is something that I think helps everybody. I don't care if you're a teenager. I don't care if you're in college. I don't care if you've been around and in your 80s. Emotions are what make all of us who we are. And understanding which ones make us tick and which ones don't, that's the key. And to me, I'm not a book writer. And I never knew what I was really doing. I just always wanted to help. And I started the dog daycare, which I did right out of college, not because I love dogs. It's because I had a beagle and I had could not afford a dog walker. And I was like, I bet there are other people like that who probably want their dogs to interact and engage. And I hate when I couldn't find one. So I started one. So to me, I'm always there to help. So if you want to reach out, it's tish at candor-consulting.com. My website is candor-consulting.com. And the books are headtrash911.com. Any one of those connections with me will give you the tools to help you navigate life because it is about life. Fantastic, Tish. We always wrap up with a question. And my question for you today is who's that leadership role model for you and why are they that model? Hmm. Gosh, there are so many. I'll use a client because I do think real stories are important. And there was a business that went through a lot of transition and change. And no matter when I spoke to that client, it sounded like the world was caving. And that person always knew how to take all the guidance and the advice, somehow synthesize it unemotionally, even though it was emotional stuff, a lot of catch and go and things could look really bad, but was able to always be composed in every meeting, in every interaction, and at the end of every meeting interaction with someone, they always felt better. And I think that's why my mission is somewhat like that. I always want to make sure that when someone hangs up with me, they actually feel better about themselves or something they have to do because they feel they're prepared. And that role model was one of the clients I met many years ago, probably one of my first clients back in 2000. I didn't even know what my business was going to form into yet. But I noticed how they took all this chaos, were great listeners, which is very hard to do when you're under stress to stop and listen and never was humble, always was very humble to take advice and not be arrogant. And then when they were ready to actually talk about it was so composed and so uplifting. And to me, leadership isn't a title. It's the type of person they weren't even a manager. Hmm. They weren't even a manager. Hmm. So to me, role model is for each and every person to know what it means to impact someone else. Remember, you impact someone in the way you walk in a room, the way you listen to what they've said to you, and the advice you give. Be careful. Think before you talk. <laughs> many times we don't do that. And then you later feel terrible about what didn't happen. So that, that's just my tip for the day. Yeah, oh, good, sis. Well, thanks for being here. And thanks, more importantly, for all the work you're doing in the world. I love what I do. So it, to me, it's a pleasure. So thank you. And I look forward to hearing from folks who may have heard this and think I can help them. Hello. 
If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com slash confident to find out more. See you on the inside. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.